Welcome back to the Syracuse Football Podcast. I'm Stephen Bailey, joined as always by Julian Wiggum, and we're here to break down the Oranges matchup with Boston College, Saturday noon, Carrier Dome, kind of the last chance for the Orange to really give, you know, give give itself a shot of making a bowl, 3-5 and five with the second bye week coming up, BC probably the most winnable game left. Um, can the Orange defense stop A.J. Dillon? Can the offensive line protect Tommy DeVito against what is a very, very bad Eagles pass rush? I think those are some of the questions we're going to dive into. Uh, We're also going to talk with my buddy Trevor Haas, former Daily Orange colleague. Uh, He is covering BC for Boston.com. We will take some fan questions. We will give our predictions. And then we'll go watch the game on Saturday. Before we dive in, I need you all to go subscribe to us if you haven't already. Spotify, Stitcher iTunes. Please tell a friend if you enjoyed the show. Spread it around. We're trying to get the word out. Um, And if you'd like to purchase local advertising, you can contact Dylan Carpenter at 315-470-6069. right, let's dive in, Julian. I I think I'm curious from a player's perspective, a former player, like this this time of the year is kind of so interesting. You've got a team that is like kind of backs against the wall, very disappointing year, obviously, and now, to me, it's like if you lose this game, bowl hopes are kind of gone. Like, you've been a part of teams that have had some similar trajectories. Like, what's it like late in the year, and is there kind of a game you kind of think back to with some parallels to this? Uh, yeah, so you're in the last quarter of the season, last four games, right? Um, and you're starting to wind down and you're you're at a point where I but I've been on teams where it was three and nine, four and eight. And before we hit that point, um uh, specifically thinking about twenty fifteen, my senior year, uh, we had gotten into a game with Louisville. That week of practice, our coaches were uh first they started off huge on fourth quarter. Fourth quarter season, here's what we got. We're gonna try some things and they were kind of making it as if it were an actual football game where they're bringing some halftime adjustments to the season. They're still trying to implement some things that they've seen throughout the year, and they're trying to give the offense and the defense some new things to kind of tinker around with in hopes of getting that extra win here or there to try to get to that bowl game, right? So my uh, expectation for Syracuse this season is the same. Uh, We're kind of expecting them to try to find a way to help them get to that sixth win and for us, when back on that 2015 team, our coach was just hard on us throughout practice. It was really hammering down whatever that new technique was, whatever uh, that new player coverage and check was. I can remember uh, we had uh, during we were a scout team period, right? And you know, scout team, you, you kind of go through the motions after a while sometimes, and uh, you, you run a lot of the same plays over and over. You've seen the same guy over and over, but. There was one instance where I remember I think it was Custis I had on me. And uh, I'm failing, and a big thing for me was you never get beat in cover three, right? Um, and I'm failing, and I think the quarterback underthrows the ball. Custis is able to come back to it and get the catch. And I'm like, ah, okay, I'll get it next time. Like, I, I never get beat in cover three, right? Because it's deepest of the deepest. And there's in my coach. He's, under through it, that never happens in the game. He's like, but it could, it could, wake him. it could, <laughs> you know. And, and this is Coach Buller uh, going after me, and I'm like, you know what, you're right, it could. 
Uh, but it was it was just that um, that emphasis on be prepared for anything. Uh, don't relax in any situation. Uh, we're we're tensing, and it was just that tensing up moment. So uh, for Syracuse this week and for the rest of the season, the goal here is you don't want to tense up so much that you uh, just kind of forget your assignments, forget what you're doing, and, and kind of lock in too much. But you want to find that balance where you're able to play uh, with some free flow but also have a, a tight mentality to what you're doing try to execute some of the new things that are being thrown at you because this is that fourth quarter of the year, uh, four games left, and, and you want to find a way uh, to, to try to get to that sixth win to get to that bowl game. So uh, for Syracuse right now, I'm sure this week of practice is difficult, it's tough, uh, they're learning new things, but I'm sure the coach is starting to press that thumb a little bit as well. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned that because Dino said at his Monday press conference, like someone, I think Josh Schaefer from the Daily Orange asked, you know, how do you go about fixing mental mistakes? And he quoted Dick Tomey, his uh, late coach from Hawaii, said, try less harder. And uh, to me, I think of keep it simple, stupid, Dwight Schrute from the office. And, and I totally get it. You know, and you can see some of these guys who have had such negative results this year, it kind of compiles. And to me, when I watch the offensive line, you see a group that's not very reactive. They're not instinctive. They're kind of uncertain. And I think, you know, Carlos Vitterall had back-to-back false starts last week. You know, he's played eight games this yeah. year, and he's had tons of practice snaps. And you can see how mad he is at, him, at himself. Because Dino says some of these yeah. mistakes, not all of them, are out of character. Um, so I do think we're going to see the guys try and kind of find that flow state and, and get out of their own heads this week. Um, playing against a BC defense that has been really bad uh, will probably help. Uh, I know you've kind of taken a peek at some scheme things that Syracuse might try and do. Like, what what are you kind of expecting and, and um, you know, can they get some new wrinkles in here this late in the year? Yeah, so I look to the NFL whenever I'm kind of curious about what are some leading ideas in terms of what do you do when your offensive line isn't there? Because uh, I said on the last episode, the offensive line, you know, is typically terminal to an offense entirely. Your run game shuts down. Eventually your quarterback starts taking hits. Your passing game shuts down. And eventually your quarterback gets injured. And Syracuse has demonstrated a lot of those symptoms throughout the year, obviously not being able to win many games. So my thought was, in in the NFL, this happens as well. Because guys rise up and the, tech, the coaching of technique isn't quite often as clean uh, because of the salary cap. Uh, teams typically like to stick with younger offensive linemen. They don't invest in veterans very often anymore unless they're trying to get a left tackle or something like that. So they typically have, tend to have um, offensive line issues. So what do they do? Um, and I was pointed towards the Chiefs back in 2017 and even the Houston Texans up until recently this year and what they were able to do. And the thought process was, one, You've got to find ways to use motion, try to get defenses off of their toes because, again, Syracuse has been facing a lot of heavy pressure. We're seeing twists from defensive linemen, several new and different types of blitz packages every single week uh, from defensive coordinators. They're licking their chops, oh, what, what can I scheme up to try to get free this time? And because teams are playing so forward, when you can find ways to mix up uh, and force them to think, whether that's with a little bit of motion here or there, run a guy across the, across the formation and running back across, get corner safeties and linebackers thinking a little bit, it slows down that rush. 
Then once you start to slow down that rush with maybe a little bit of motion, you're finding ways with that read option, which was really valuable to Syracuse in the past with Dungey being there. And it was a big reason why they had so much success in the past. Because honestly, I don't think the offensive lines that uh, Dungey had were that much better than this one. While this one may be uh, below average and tending towards mediocre at times, uh, I don't think that Dungey ever played with above average and great offensive lines. I, I'm pretty sure Syracuse you typically tended with uh, some average ones. And the breed option was a- able to help alleviate a lot of their issues and the, obviously the RPO action, which is a part of Syracuse's uh, offensive game plan. But when you're able to mix in both motion, uh, using shovel pads, this is a Chiefs thing with bringing up, using weight, you trying to find ways to use their tight end. This is where uh, Travis Kelsey began to uh, rise the fame, was using the tight end when he didn't have an offensive line. And what that meant was going either A, over the middle of the field, or B, bringing him in even to the, the rush run game in terms of that uh, run, uh, what is it, runoff, uh, rush option uh, where you're passing that off, that little shovel pass off the tight end and finding just little wrinkles here and there to bring guys inside of the formation more often because, one, it helps in the run game, but also gives you some options in terms of the pass and uh, RPO action as well. So just a few wrinkles there that can help Syracuse in terms of getting away from uh, that offensive, those, those offensive line issues and then obviously getting the ball out quickly. That's the old Patriots thing when they didn't quite have a uh, offensive line. Tom Brady, big thing for him was getting the ball out quickly. So these are some of the wrinkles I'm sure Syracuse can and will try to uh, put into their offensive game plan going forward and it's something for fans to look out for and see if that execution is actually happening because Boston College is certainly going to bring the pressure. They're certainly going to try to find ways to get after the quarterback. So for Syracuse, finding small things like that uh, just to get them going I think would be a huge help to their offense. It may be a, a difference maker in these close games, especially against the BC where that first down may be a field goal to win the game or that little bit of yardage here there runs off some more clock so you can keep them off of the field in some kind of manner. So these little things certainly end up playing big dividends for uh, Syracuse in that offense. So if they're able to find a way, uh, it definitely would be to their benefit. Yeah, I definitely agree with you. I think we saw them try and do that a little bit early against Florida State. And something that that I was kind of thinking about after the game, Kendall Bryles, Florida State's OC, runs a lot of the same stuff that, that Dino Babers does, obviously stretching back to Art Bryles at Baylor. Um, so maybe there was some familiarity there that, that helped the FSU defense cu- jump a couple of those quick passes. I do think we're going to see the Orange try and attack the middle of the field more. We're going to get to our interview with Trevor Haas in a little bit. And as he says, BC has been beating down the seams quite a bit. I think they've been beaten all over, but that's kind of one of the spots. So maybe more, more of the tight ends, more of the slots. Uh, we did see Syracuse go to a couple shovel passes late against FSU. So I, th- I think you and Mike Lynch have, have watched some similar tape um, when you – you know, kind of a little all over the place here, but when you mentioned those two teams, Deshaun Watson, something else too. So to have a quarterback who can help mitigate those problems, I don't know if there's a, there's a better one in the league right now for it. Um, I do think we might see some personnel shift too in addition to scheme. Uh, I wouldn't be shocked to see Aaron Service and Carlos Federello flip. 
I know they tried that Veterello at center lineup early last week on Tuesday. Dino ultimately decided to flip him back. Uh, I think most of that's because the Seminoles just had a couple really good interior linemen. Uh, Marvin Wilson, really fantastic player, and, and frankly, he got the better of service and, and both of the guards that were in. And then a couple other big guys really, really moved their weight around early in the game. BC doesn't quite have that size inside, um, or, or that combination of size and ability, so maybe we'll see some movement there. Uh, Patrick Davis finished the game for Dakota Davis, who had an injury last week. Maybe we'll see Patrick in. I, I think he has a, has a physical edge to him in the running game. He sealed the sealed the edge, pulling on Abdul's um, first touchdown. I think Matthew Bergeron could get a little better. So maybe there's something building in that offensive line a little bit. And I know <laughs> they're pretty far down there, but um, you know, Dino and the guys seem to have some optimism that they can take a small step forward. And, hey, BC's only got eight sacks in the year, so it, it, if it's not any better against Boston College, it's truly an indictment of how bad that group is. And uh, you know, at this point, I didn't really think you could say that they could look even worse than they are, but if BC goes off against this group – That'd be pretty bad. Um, all right, yeah. let's uh, let's flip sides of the ball. Uh, I think we all know what's coming from Boston College. Steve Adazio has built his program around a power run game. Uh, it was Andre Williams, 2,000-yard rusher. Then it was Syracuse local Tyler Rouse for a couple years. And now it's A.J. Dillon, who is already over 1,000 yards for, I believe, the third straight year. Um, now he's doing it without a starting the starting quarterback. He's got a walk-on in the backfield uh, alongside him. Like, what are you kind of expecting as, as far as the Syracuse defense trying to stop him? And, and how is this different than maybe Cam Akers or, or Travis Etienne, who they faced earlier this year? Yep, so heavy, heavy fun blitz this week. And that's something that, and again, this is, of course, from Scott Schaefer and being about pressure and all that. But there, there's a difference between a pass rush and a run, uh, a run blitz. So when you're... Uh, during a pass blitz, when you're going after the quarterback, you're scheming up ways to free a guy open so that he's a main rusher towards the quarterback. And sometimes you're scheming up two guys that can find one from the outside and you'll scheme away where there's a wide-open gap for a guy to just shoot through and go after the quarterback. But when you're scheming up run blitzes, you're just trying to fill up gaps. You're not, your defensive ends aren't shooting all the way upfield. They're trying to maintain leverage on the outside. You've got linebackers or safeties or whoever you're trying to bring trying to fill up a gap inside the A gap, B gap, so that that offensive line is totally plugged so that you're forcing that running back to bounce outside. You want it to look like a bubble, a straight line up and then a bunch of bubbles to the outside where you can find a way to make a tackle with your outside linebacker, a safety, or a corner, whoever it may be. Uh, so that's what I'm still expecting from Syracuse because when you're playing a run-heavy team like this, especially one that's downhill, that's their game plan because they hope and they're expecting to see guys use run blitzes and then go over the top with that play-action pass. That's, that's just what they want to do. They're all, and as a defense, you're getting coached to be alert when you're playing corner or safety or whatever the secondary position you're in. You're being taught, hey, be alert to the run game. And I, I can distinctly remember uh, Shave one week saying, we don't need, it was a cross, which I think he was doing at uh, Corey Winfield at the time. It was like, we don't need you making tackles this week. You're not going to be in a tackle box. And it was just yelling, be aware of the play-action pass because you don't want to be that guy beat deep downfield off the play-action after your coach has been harping on it all week long. So the corners and, and that typically the middle of field safety just sitting back there 
uh, kind of playing back on the deep pass. But as but the thing about Boston College and uh, the difference between uh, maybe a guy like Cam Akers, who is kind of has that scat back one cut ability, they find ways to scheme him open towards the outside. So and we saw that a bit uh, using the what was it the bubble screens? He was throwing the ball. Mm-hmm. They'll run him outside of the tackles with stretch plays. They'll find ways in the zone option, even though zone reads are going to be to the outside outside of the tackles, trying to use some of that speed. But when you're a downhill team where you've got an offensive line who's down blocking, trying to create gaps for your uh, your uh, your running back, he's just looking for a, a small crease here or there. He's not looking for the home run play. He's trying to get two, three, four yards uh, so that his offense can eat up time off of the play clock and try to find a way to dominate time of possession. So as a defense, the biggest key for Syracuse this week and the difference between trying to defend someone like Cam Akers who's always going to be on, who can hurt you on the outside and there's going to be schemes for plays on the outside is you know Boston College is coming down the middle with A.J. Dillon and not going to typically go outside of the tackles very often. That's against uh, their their number one philosophy. So you're, this game is going to be on Syracuse's linebackers. They have to have a big game this week. And if we see lots of missed tackles, if we see miscommunication, uh, we see guys looking at each other, kind of curious about what's going on before the, and during pre-snap, that's when you know, Syracuse may have some issues. And it's going to be on them this week to seal up those gaps on the interior because that's exactly where Boston College is going to go. And then on the secondary, just being smart, knowing that play-action pass is, going to, is eventually going to come, knowing when guys are crossing, who's going into what zone, uh, if you're in man, sticking with your man. So it's, just, it's a heady game. This is one of those games where you just have to be uh, great above the shoulders. If your body is in rhythm, which it should be by this point in the season, it's just it's a head game, knowing where to be, putting your body in the right position to make the play, and then a- allowing yourself, you know, just to be in a flow. So I, that's a great testament about Coach Favors uh, and his guys, you know, trying less harder. It, it, it's certainly going to be that this week because for this team, it, it, it's all about knowing where to be, how to play your position, and just alignment assignments football. Yeah, totally agree. I'll just add, got to got to fly to the ball. I mean, we saw Cam Akers break a bunch of tackles. I think he broke a tackle on three of his four touchdowns. I mean, it's it's probably going to be a group effort in there, and uh, you know, tackling's kind of been up and down through the year. So that's it's it's going to be a trying day for that group, I think. And um, you know, we'll, we'll for where the team is in regard to bowl eligibility, I think we'll really be able to tell how badly they want to make it to the postseason or give themselves a chance to make it to the postseason after a well-timed second bye. All right, let's uh, dive into our conversation with Trevor Haas. We're joined now on the Syracuse Football Podcast with a good friend, a former Daily Orange colleague and one of the best sharpshooters I know, Trevor Haas. He works for all kinds of papers in Boston. He's the sports editor of the Duxbury Clipper, a correspondent for the Globe, and most importantly for what we're going to be talking about today, he works for Boston.com, covering BC and college sports. Heck of an introduction, Trevor. What's it like to be back on a show with me? I'm kind of getting some nostalgic vibes here. Wow, that was a pretty incredible introduction. Are you sure you're talking about me with the sharpshooter? I appreciate it, but wow, very kind. You, you know I'm not uh, yeah, going to play off you the next time we play. Don't even don't even come with that. Fair enough, fair enough. Are you uh, playing? Yeah, I have. I actually played today. Game's looking okay. It's like, it's weird. The, so I played on Monday for the first time in a week. And my shot's always so good when I get back. And then the next time out, it is terrible. I couldn't hit anything. Um, mm. But I need all the sweat I can get during the season. And you probably do too. 
I play I play way too much. Even though you listed off all those jobs, you know, I, I I'll never uh, stop playing ball. So I'm always playing. That's good. That's my thought too. Um, all right, pretty interesting game this weekend. Um, for Syracuse, it's like the only, I think they need to win this game to have a real chance of making a bowl. BC kind of slipping, uh, obviously coming off that Clemson loss in a, in a tough spot, not quite as bad as SU. To me, this game kind of comes down to, like, can Syracuse pass the ball effectively against a BC defense that struggles to defend the pass? And can BC run the ball effectively against a Syracuse defense that has kind of been shaky defending the run? Um, let's start on that side of the ball. Like, obviously, everybody knows A.J. Dillon. To me, what's been so interesting about BC is they've replaced four of their offensive linemen, and they're still top ten in the country in rushing yards per game. Is that just A.J. Dillon being really good? Is it a credit to recruiting? Like, What have you kind of seen from that group as a whole that's allowed the sustained success despite losing those guys? Yeah, I think it's definitely a combination. I think A.J. Dillon is definitely one of the best backs in the country. Um, and outside of him, also David Bailey is the guy that most people don't know his name as much. Obviously, he's not quite at the same level, but he's still a great player, real physical back, uh, great on third down. Um, I think those two, you know, one one and two punch, they really uh, provided a lot of talent. Um, and the offensive line has really done a solid job all year. As you said, they, they lost some guys uh, but brought a, new, a lot of new faces in. Um, Tyler Rabel, just son of Mike Rabel, um, the Titans head coach, he's done a great job. Uh, ben Petrula has been really solid. Alec Lindstrom, uh, they've just been they've been really solid, and they've been, they've kind of been carrying the team. But you know, without um, Anthony Brown, the quarterback, he's just kind of uh, the offense has been pretty much run the ball consistently, and it's, it's worked. Um, obviously, not too much in the Clemson game, but uh, no fault of their own. But otherwise, it's been pretty effective the past few few weeks. How did you see the offensive group kind of respond losing to Anthony Brown and like? Uh, having a walk-on in at quarterback, like schematically, how, how much has kind of changed in these last couple weeks? Yeah, so when Anthony Brown went down, obviously a, a very tough break for him. Um, you know, we don't know if it's an ACL for sure, but it certainly looked like one. Um, and he tore his ACL uh, previously, so a tough break for him. Uh, you know, he's really a hard-working kid and a great quarterback and really great with the media. Just a, a tough break for Anthony Brown. Um, but Dennis Grossell has really stepped up. Um, he's a, a walk-on. He was once the, the fourth stringer, so... If you like an underdog story, that's definitely the guy to root for. Uh, he's been solid. He does, he's not trying to do too much. Um, didn't throw a pick in the Clemson game, which was definitely a plus for him. Uh, did fumble. Only had a couple completions, but that's a tough task on the road against Clemson. Um, not many people would be jealous of that. Uh, but he's, he's done what he's done. He's been consistent. Um, not trying to do too much. Just manage the game. So I think I think their, their offense has always been, you know, run the ball, as we've said. So it hasn't really changed things too much. They don't necessarily air it out quite as much as they would with Anthony, but um, you know, just you know, they're trying to be consistent and you know, milk the clock and work the ball downfield. So I got his numbers up in front of me: eighteen of fifty-three, and like you said, three touchdowns to one interception. I guess inaccurate, but kind of you know, maybe not giving the ball away. Are you kind of getting some Zach Mahoney vibes over there? <laughs> yeah, that's fair. I mean, I guess if you look at those games, um, game by game, the Louisville game was a pretty tough situation for him. He just kind of came in um, on the road, and that game was a shootout, um, and A.J. was hot, so they just handed it off to him. He had some incompletions, but um, that was his first you know, first real action of his career, so that's kind of a toss away, in my opinion. Um, the next game, NC State, he was honestly pretty good. Um, didn't try to do a whole lot, as I said, but you know they scored 45 points, so if you score 45 points, you're doing something right. And then Clemson, I feel like that's just, you know, we, we got to kind of throw that aside. Uh, they were just outmatched in every facet. So that's partially on him, but, you know, obviously not fully. 
Yeah, that's fair. Two two tough situations out of those three games. And, I mean, hey, NC State, Syracuse scored 10 points against them. So anyone listening here, really hard to be critical of that guy when, you know, Syracuse couldn't score for almost the entire game. Um, let's flip sides of the ball. I think the BC pass rush versus Syracuse offensive line is really interesting. It's like terrible versus terrible. Syracuse allowed 42 sacks, like far and away the most in the country. BC has eight sacks in eight games, obviously inadequate for an ACC pass rush. Like, what are you kind of expecting? And, like, can you contextualize that eight-sack number? Has it been a lack of aggression, a lack of execution, like trying to put more guys in coverage? What have you kind of seen from from the defense in regard to attacking the quarterback? Yeah, so the thing coming into the year, it was, you know, the offense has a a chance to be great. The defense has a chance to be great, but probably a little less likely. Um, Very young, a lot of moving parts, and just trying to figure it out on the fly. Um, They've shown some flashes. They've been been pretty good in stretches, but when they get into some of these teams that throw the ball pretty well, like Wake Forest, for example, they just really have no answer. Um, I think one standout for the throughout the season has been Max Richardson. Um, he's been a really great player. Just you know, even when they've been struggling, he's been consistent. But otherwise, just you know, having trouble getting to the quarterback. Um, I guess it, that, that could change this week, considering Syracuse's ineptitude on the offensive line. But I don't expect it will too much. I think it will be a high-scoring game, and uh, both offenses might just kind of have their way. So that's kind of the interesting thing because I think anyone who's watched Syracuse this year who heard you say, I don't expect that to happen, is like, there's no way because (laughs) Syracuse is basically, everyone's gotten through. Florida State had two sacks in its previous three games and then sacked Tommy DeVito seven times. Um, I guess when it has been effective or in theory when this pass rush is effective, you know, who are the guys to watch and um, how aggressive blitz-wise have the Eagles kind of been this year? Um, I would say not too aggressive. Um, they've been they've been struggling uh, tackling, so I think their their priority is just kind of making sure they don't give up big plays, um, chunk plays, because that that's been really uh, a problem, um, especially against Louisville. That was just big play after big play against a team that wasn't expected to even be in contention. Um, I mentioned Richardson. Um, let's see, uh, Ben Glans. Or sorry, not Ben Glans. Uh, Mike Palmer has been pretty good. Um, he's been solid. Um, just looking down the roster here. John Lamont's been pretty impressive. Um, he's filled in, um, played, gotten more playing time of late. Joe Sparaccio, um, freshman linebacker, he's been pretty solid. Uh, it's just, you know, it's a lot of moving parts. They're, they have, they can do it in stretches, but it's really not too consistent. So, um, we'll see what happens. Yeah, I, I feel your pessimism from here, man. Uh, three hundred, almost three hundred passing yards allowed per game. Um, it sounds like it's kind of been all over, but are, have there been some consistencies in in where opposing offenses have attacked Boston College in, in the passing game? Um, yeah, I think I think down the middle is definitely uh, one thing I've noticed. Um, teams tend to throw the ball um, right downfield and just to kind of work um, that area. Uh, I think I think BC struggles when. Um, there's just one guy on one guy. It's just a one-on-one matchup. Um, struggling to make tackles. Um, a lot of players have broken free for big gains and touchdowns that should be eight-yard completions that have turned into like 15, 20 uh, to the house. Um, that's one thing they they have gotten better at. I don't think it would be fair to say that it's been bad all year. It's just been kind of up and down. Which I mean, four and four is four and four. There's a reason that they've won four games and lost four games when the offense has been pretty steady every game except for Clemson. So the defense. When their defense plays well, you know they're they're going to win a lot of games. But when it doesn't, it's going to be tough, which has happened a couple times. But as I said, has improved as well. 
For sure. I'm going to get you out on this one. Um, any variables you, we haven't discussed that you think are going to be important on Saturday? And what's your prediction for kind of how you see it playing out? Um, let's see. As for variables, um, probably, I mean, you know, any game, special teams, um, BC's kicker, Aaron Bumeri has been pretty solid. Um, I wrote a feature on him earlier this year about his preparation. Um, he's, he's been pretty consistent. So if it comes down to a game winning field goal or something, I would trust him on the road. Um, I think for a prediction, I would say it would be somewhere around 27, 24, 30, 27, some, somewhere in that range. Um, I would say Syracuse will probably win just because they're a little more desperate at this point. Both teams are kind of desperate, but um, playing at home, and I know that may come as a surprise because they've been struggling of late, but I think I think they'll probably take it in a close one by maybe three, six points, somewhere around there. How about you? I don't know. I guess I guess I'll spoil my prediction for later in in the show. Um, I have I have BC twenty four twenty three. It's just I think you've been so close to BC that you see all of the things that aren't going well for them. Like I've been so close to Syracuse and just can't see a world where the offensive line doesn't allow four or five sacks and and you know the front seven is able to keep AJ Dillon in check because they they really haven't stopped a good running back all year. So. I guess one of those has to give <laughs> on Saturday. Yeah, this is a classic or something has to give. I guess we'll see what happens. I mean, I think it'll be close, but who knows? Yeah, for sure. All right, man. Thanks for uh, coming on, and, and hopefully I'll see you soon. All righty. See you on the court. And we're back. Time to take a couple Twitter questions. James Austin, a loyal listener. Do you think the Orange will finally tweak the offense and try some power football? Davis and the freshmen like to bully people, and we do have a 90-pound – excuse me, a 290-pound fullback. Uh, what do you think, Julian? Do you think we'll see a little bit more downhill and maybe less of the zone read stuff? Uh, that's just not the way the offense is coached up front. It's a zone blocking scheme. That, that, that's Coach Weber's way. I mean, I, I think that's from the Art Browse tree in terms of how they want to run the ball. But I'm sure that there will or could be uh, some options here. When you see the two tight end sets, which Syracuse has gone to at times throughout this year and last, uh, where two tight end sets. Uh, we're, you're sitting back with a 12 personnel, and you're just starting to run dive plays up the middle, uh, trying to create some yards here or there. I don't expect Syracuse to completely try to match Boston College in terms of the power runs. That's just not who they are. Uh, but there's certainly room to add that to the playbook as a change-up uh, to the offense and kind of get the BC defense thinking a little bit because, again, a big key for Syracuse's offense for the rest of the season is finding ways to get defenses off of their toes. So if that comes in, if that becomes finding different personnel looks where maybe we go back to that two, two back look, or maybe you're bringing in multiple tight ends and finding ways to hack in those guys. Uh, it, 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 you certainly want to introduce that to your offense because you've got to find ways to give yourself an advantage and sort of alleviate uh, some of the problems that have ailed you all season long in terms of blitzes and all the things that guys are doing up front on those defensive lines. So I could see Syracuse U tending towards some power run here or there, but not being a big or heavy part of their offense. Yeah, that's fair. You know, I did think they went to a, a few more designed runs in the second half against Florida State, and, and the offensive line was able to exert its will against a defense that knew the game was, I mean, really over at that point. Um, yeah. So we'll we'll see what works. You know, Devito hasn't been pulling it a lot. Um, I think if they think there are individual defenders who they can expose and isolate, we'll, we'll see them go back to that. But to me, the, however you find the best way to use the running game, I, I think they're kind of trying to set up the pass here. I think the BC secondary is vulnerable. I think they're good matchups for Tristan Jackson and Taj Harris on the outside. Of course, Devito and 
Taj need to get on the same page because, you know, they clearly have not had chemistry all year. And uh, and like you said, I actually think the slot receivers and the tight ends are going to get more early reads from DeVito. Um, so we'll see. We'll see how the uh, how the running game shapes up. Doc Vernald, as a recruit, how much do you look at the wins and losses of a team, or is it more about how quick can I get on the field? Uh, I'll talk from my experience quickly just talking to recruits. Everyone's different. I mean, I've talked to kids who say, yeah, I want to come play at Syracuse because I can play right away. And frankly, if a true freshman who's a three-star kid is playing right away, you're probably not winning many games. So, <laughs> you know, some people mm-hmm. want to get on the field. Some people see a good fit for scheme, and that's part of it. And and, and certainly I have seen recruits come in and say, yeah, I, I like what Syracuse is building. And um, obviously they're not – you know, building much this year, but to bring in running backs, for instance, knowing you're going to be behind Moniel and Abdul Adams and Jarvion Howard, you know, they're still going out and, and getting guys who see that value while understanding they probably won't play much for the long term. Um, what about you, Julian? What do you do? You kind of see that as well? Different, different kind of stroke situation. Yeah, absolutely. Um, in my recruitment, uh, you know, just being who I was. Uh, I, tall, lanky kid who had an eating disorder. You weren't sure if I was going to gain weight or not. <laughs> a lot of my options were with uh, losing teams. And then once uh, some of the bigger schools start to show interest, you, you've already bought into the idea of, well, what can this team become? And it's certainly an idea for recruits buying into uh, what could be built uh, as far as uh, your program and what kind of career you can have. I think the two biggest things, uh, for me at least, was getting on the field early, which was uh, a big sticking point for Syracuse. I had some options at Boston College or Vanderbilt where I'm looking at the defensive back situation. I'm like, ah, I probably wouldn't see the field until my junior year at best. Uh, whereas Syracuse, I'm like, I'm going to teach two deep my freshman year. So that was a big key as well. So I think it's, and you're right. It's different for different guys. Uh, some guy, I knew a kid who came out with me who committed to a school because they had nice uniforms, like with no thought about it. It was like, yeah, no, I'm, I'm excited to wear something clean. And um, it, it's they're certainly different for uh, different guys. But when you're looking at a team like Syracuse and maybe the losses are coming in, you're hoping that guys are buying in on what can be built and what Syracuse could be. And they're certainly looking at the opportunities as playing young because obviously who they have right now isn't cutting it. Kind of a follow-up here from Steven, another member of the PH Club. To piggyback off Coach V8, after being in Tallahassee this weekend and experiencing the weather, how does a coach recruit a Floridian and convince them to come up here? Ah, okay. So funny, I'll try to keep it short. Funny story, uh, I came up to Syracuse. I strategically placed my visit in January. So I'm like, that should be... Syracuse's apex cold, right? And uh, out of ignorance, I came up, and it was a 30-degree day, clear skies, sunny, beautiful, actually. And, uh, Coach, I'm asking Coach, like, this is Syracuse? This is this is how cold it gets? He's like, yeah, it uses between, you know, 20, 30, looks like this, and you'll love it. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> sure. That's perfectly fine with me. And my mom, she's never been up here. She's like, well, this looks good to meet you. If you can handle it, go ahead. And I was, and my thought process was, well, this, this can't be that bad. And then, of course, obviously the sun went down and you never saw it again. <laughs> so um, I, as a Florida kid, your thought process and the guys I know of who've gone to different places, whether it was like a Bowling Green or a UConn, a Boston College and all these different up north places, 
you're like you're thinking, you know what, I can adapt. And it, unless you have options and close ties to Florida itself, once you leave your hometown and your home state, I personally, I think it's all the same once the same once you cross the Mason Dixon. A lot of the guys I know, they all were looking forward to the opportunity of going to college and uh, and experiencing the snow because a lot obviously a lot of people from Florida have never seen snow. So um, once you bought in, and for whatever reason that may be, whether it's the um, you're buying into the program's opportunity or you're buying into what the coaches sold you in terms of scheme and what you can do as a freshman, uh, the weather plays less and less of a factor. Uh, in, in terms of going out, I know guys who go to Ohio State. You know, it, the weather plays a small factor uh, if you're a Florida kid trying to go up and, and make plays up north. As long as the the, the bill of goods you're you're buying uh, are there in terms of playing time or scheme and whatever else. Sure. All right, last one, Kyle. Nab, good grief, Nab Nabwinchik. Nabwinich, <laughs> sorry, buddy. Uh, all right, good question though. I'd heard that BC starts a walk-on quarterback now. They do, Dennis Grassell. Can we expect big things from him, or will it mostly be an AJ Dillon day? If the walk-on quarterback who was fourth string does big things, the that's <laughs> the dome is going to be empty by halftime, man. Um, you know, I really think it's sell out to stop the run, like you said. Have the secondary ready for play action. Um, you know, those guys have given up some some big plays early, especially against Florida State. That opened up underneath stuff. And, you know, I know Cam Akers was a problem last week, but but part of the issue was you can't commit to stopping the run if you're getting beaten over the top. So it's I, I, obviously that's how they're going to play this. We'll see how many shots uh, the Eagles try and take early. But, you know, I think that's clearly a weak point. Like I, I mentioned earlier with Trevor, he's 18 for 53 in three games, admittedly being thrown in mid-game after Anthony Brown got hurt and playing Clemson. So, you know, that's, that's tough circumstances. But, I mean, clearly clearly he is not uh, the passing, passing threat that Anthony Brown was, and, and they're going to lean on A.J. Dillon. Um, all right, let's hit our predictions really quick. I really labored with this one. I went back and forth. I would not be surprised if anything happened. I, I could, I expect it to be a close game. But if you told me Syracuse won by a couple touchdowns, like, I, I know based on this year it would be a little surprising. I didn't predict that, but I wouldn't be totally shocked based on BC's issues. And if you told me BC won by a couple touchdowns and Tommy DeVito was sacked eight times, I would have told you, well, that's the season, you know. Uh, I picked BC 24-23. I I just couldn't quite get past the offensive line for Syracuse and you know BC's line is really bad their 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 defensive front but Syracuse hasn't really looked good against anyone this year and you you couple that with AJ Dillon Syracuse hasn't really stopped a good running back yet this year uh, even the Maryland game I think they had four guys around a thousand yards ETN you know Pitt runs the ball well NC State runs the ball well Cam Akers last week obviously so so you know I went with the Eagles but frankly I think anything could happen. Yep, I agree with you, and I'm leaning on the fact that the big play factor from both teams. Uh, one, A.J. Dillon being able to hit the home run uh, from anywhere on the field, because I can't trust there because you run defense. I don't know what these linebackers do, and obviously they've had teams have had a lot of success in the running back position against this defense. So uh, on that side of the ball, A.J. Dillon could do uh, just about anything from anywhere on the field. But also Syracuse, even though they've had so many problems across the offensive line, we've see, still seen them make plays downfield to receivers. Uh, Taj Harris and those guys uh, do come down with 
the big play every so often. I think that'll be a factor for Syracuse this week as well, and I think that's going to be a big reason why they're able to get into the end zone. So like you, Stephen, I think it'll be a close game. Less points, though. I'm going B.C. 17-14. I think they find a way to control the clock, keep Syracuse off the field, and shut down Syracuse's offense just enough to get the win. Oh, 17-14. That is an ugly game. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll give you this one number before we get out of here. You want to talk about explosiveness or lack thereof? Uh, our friend David Hale over at ESPN posted this earlier today. Offensive explosive play percentage. Syracuse is 124th in the country. 8.15% of their plays. Defensive explosive plays percentage, so percentage of explosive plays allowed. Syracuse 115th in the country, 14.91%. So, <laughs> not exactly going great. Well, for Syracuse this week, certainly. Yeah. All right, guys. Thanks for listening, as always. If you haven't yet, please hit the subscribe button. Uh, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, whatever you listen to your podcasts on. If you want to support us with some advertising, contact Dylan Carpenter at 315-470-6069. We'll be back to break down the BC game.